Hey everyone, my name is Caleb. And I'm Ben, and you are listening to Tribal Talk, a survivor podcast. so good lots of twist turns everything that we have come to expect from season 40 you know it's the 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 penultimate episode right the kind of uh the the crux before the big fall uh of a season finale and uh there we're obviously hanging off a cliff edge at this point with the return challenge looming don't know who it's going to be. There's 7,000? 7,000 survivors? 7,012, Ben. How are we supposed to count all these? Like, they... Well, it would have been 7,013, but Sandra left. Okay? Come on. So much to talk <laughs> about right now. I think uh, Sandra, Sandra's move to leave just seems so much smarter now. I'm not sure. I blame her a lot less now. I, I do. Yeah, it, it's totally true because it's like, okay, uh, and we'll, we'll, of course, talk about this later, but it's like Sandra's odds of winning it back in in a challenge anyway were pretty darn low, but beating Natalie, who has three advantages in the challenge and who has apparently been eating, I mean, I don't know if you know this, Ben, as a yokel, but she's been eating peanut butter, so her strength is way up. Sandra wasn't coming back in. So is there nutrition? The, is the... there nutrition in peanut butter? I can't. There is. There have is. Have we already yes. done think... this bit? I feel like we've yes, done we this have. bit. <laughs> All right. Okay. That... Okay. The first thing I wanted us to talk about this week was the challenges. This week was, of course, a double episode. So we have challenge A and challenge B. And I just thought we'd mash these up into a nice challenge sandwich and talk about them at the same time. So the first challenge was the one where basically they would toss some basketball-esque balls up onto a thing of rails and then they'd have to jump over the ropes catch the ball and then eventually dig through some sand and then do a slide puzzle um the person who stood out to me was probably tony just because i love when we can tell that a player basically looked at how they played their first season decided to work on something that they were bad at before and then take a step forward in that area the slide puzzle yes exactly so for tony with the slide puzzle in his first season kagayan he was in the lead in an individual immunity challenge and he got to the slide puzzle and just could not figure it out. So instead of actually thinking about what he was doing, he just started rapidly shifting pieces around and lost the challenge. And he didn't win this challenge either, but he was moving methodically and slowly and strategically. And they even showed his puzzle. He had made a lot of progress and would have actually solved it eventually. He just wasn't quite fast enough. Nick had beaten him to the punch. You know, Tony is so bad at slide puzzles. I was excited to see that frantic shifting again. And next thing I know, he's at his puzzle and he's thinking about it. Tony seems, out of all the survivors, the most prepared in that he had a specific strategy coming in. So Tony has been working on, you know, coming in the right way with the right winning strategy. He's been practicing these puzzles that he was not good at. Uh, Very impressive. I think the other impressive part was Nick. I don't know that Nick realized how much pressure he should have been feeling going right. into that um, because he was definitely the target the edit made that very clear that nick was playing for his game i i did not think nick uh was going to win he this is his first individual immunity win 
And it was the first time that he, in my opinion, really, really needed it. And he came out with it. And you could see the disappointment mostly in Ben's face. Because that man cannot hide anything. He's like, oh, <laughs> dang it. What are we going to do now? Ah, <laughs> oh, Nick, you went on and won an immunity challenge. We were going to you- vote you out tonight, man. Way to ruin our day. <laughs> Oh, big mouth Ben. Uh, at it again. One last thing on the first individual immunity challenge of the episode was that I honestly didn't really like this challenge that much. You know, we've been watching these older seasons of Survivor recently, and the challenges back then were in some ways more simple, but were much more exciting because it was actual survival skills sometimes. It's something like that. These ones where everything is just so precise and known and aren't that interesting to me. It's It's kind of gone from who can catch the most fish... Uh, or who can rip the most pork off of a of a stick? Yeah, man. Shout out to South Pacific. That was crazy. It's gone. It's gone from kind of those those more base kind of instinct those types of things to like put these colorful blocks in the right holes. Yeah, and even animals got like a lot of screen time because there was always like wildlife in these other places, and now it's like. There are no animals, there's no wildlife, there's no spiders or snakes or lizards or... Or like on Survivor Africa where there's just like elephants, just like... And lions that they have to watch out for. <laughs> yeah. They have to like literally set up a watch for for lions. So that way they don't die. <laughs> well, whatever that watcher is going to do, it's like, oh, the lions are getting too close, run! <laughs> Like, right, so they can be alive while they're being eaten by the lion, which is great. Survivor Africa, if you haven't seen it, watch it. That season is so good. Huh. Okay, so what did you think about that second challenge? Specifically, what did you think about Nick and Michelle using that new disadvantage on Ben Dreebergen? It was clearly successful. Ben didn't win. He did well in the in the challenge. Here's the problem. Didn't really matter. I don't feel like Nick should have even tried to buy that advantage because it seemed to me even though he he would have lost probably probably lost that challenge i don't feel like it put him his game in any better of a position ultimately nick has been playing a weak game of survivor and he has as much as he said he's looking to the end uh he's not and he never has been looking at that final tribal and what he's going to say to those survivors from the edge of extinction. You know, what is he going to say to the jury? He has no argument at all, obviously, before he was voted off, uh, ultimately. The disadvantage was was pretty weak sauce. I don't think it was worth the tokens that they spent on it. I would have passed on it. My only take on the amount of coins was it was the next to last day or last day to spend those coins. So what else are you going to use these eight coins on, right, other than this possible advantage? The other thing to tie in, of course, is that Michelle had already convinced Nick that they were on the bottom by the time that second individual immunity challenge had rolled around because Jeremy was gone. And she said, you know, how could you vote out Jeremy? Now we're next. So we have to do whatever we can so that one of us can win individual immunity. And then, like you said, it was the right play because it looks like it prevented Ben Dreebergen from winning because even though he had 30% more blocks to stack in a domino style fashion, he was apparently one block away, which is astounding. I think this challenge must lend itself naturally to taller players, and he seems to be the tallest guy left by quite a bit. I, I feel like if you're the bottom two, uh, clearly he and he and Michelle were on the bottom of that. One of you is not going to win immunity, and the person that doesn't is going home. So that's why I feel like it didn't actually affect the game. You know, Michelle's going to be the next vote out. I mean, it, it's not a very effectual advantage to to have right. at this point in the game. We always have to wonder what if, and 
maybe this did allow either Michelle or Nick to win immunity instead of Ben Dreebergen. But like you said, did that really change anything? Because the other one just would have been picked off. Where where it is valuable is to the majority who can prevent the person that they really want to vote out from winning immunity. If, for example, in the first immunity challenge of this last episode, they could have played it on Nick. And then, you know, Nick would have definitely lost and... Um, gone home, been the vote. But since he won, it kind of threw off all of their plans. That's a good point. Yeah. It's definitely more useful from the perspective of the majority alliance. That definitely makes sense. I think it's time to get into that boat, our favorite boat, and head off to the edge of extinction. I thought that this uh, this challenge, this scavenger hunt was was pretty awesome. Obviously, we saw Natalie take off like a boss, and she was only being beaten by Wendell physically not mentally. And Natalie had a leg up because she knew the island so well. She's been there since day three, yo. So she goes right to where it is and Wendell's up at the top of the mountain, probably gasping for breath. And the comment is made by Tyson that Natalie is the queen of the edge of extinction and particularly that she has become one with the island. So we had the edge of extinction before, right? And we had... A early vote, an early vote off that made it to the very end of the edge, and that was Mama Reem, dude. Yeah, dude, and uh, pick up your your dirty socks and and put them in the laundry. In your opinion, does Natalie finally overtake and dethrone Mama Reem as the queen of the Edge of Extinction? As much as I love and respect Reem, and Reem really grew on me during season 38, Edge of Extinction, because she was out there from day one through day 35. So she spent 34 days on the Edge of Extinction, which is insane. And what was weirder too, is she had really no way of gaining an advantage like Natalie has to get back in. Natalie has been able to take her larger amount of time and turn that into something that she can actually increase her chances to get back into the game. Whereas like Reem, it was just like, nah, she's just weaker because she's been out there longer. But all respect due to Reem, Natalie, like Tyson said, has become one with this island and with this place. And she is 100% the queen because she's been there since day two. So she's been there for 33 days, not quite as long. But like you said, I think your your example is perfect. She beat Wendell, not because she was the most physically able to get there the most quickly, but because she knew the island so well, she knew exactly where to go as soon as she read that clue. She just bolted, mm-hmm. went right there. Yep. You could tell she used every bit of energy she had. She's not giving up physically, but it was her brain and her knowledge of the island that allowed her to get eight additional fire tokens which might be the difference in her coming back into this game and another perspective on this right the the queen is the one with all the money right and she uh she bought tyson an immunity idol like what the heck you know and uh she was sharing her peanut butter i mean she was she was not just a queen she was a benevolent queen she was a good queen that was good to her people that she let stay with her. Yeah, I think the the answer is pretty clear. Uh, shout out to Reem. She was a lot of fun to talk about. One more thing I wanted to just talk about because I think since we are talking about Reem, it's good to kind of compare the first iteration of Edge of Extinction to this one. And of course, the biggest difference is that now we have these fire tokens and does it make the Edge of Extinction more interesting and more entertaining? So I went through and I just outlined 
the different times that Natalie has impacted the main game, even though she's not in the main game. So the first thing she did was she gave Jeremy the safety without power advantage, which of course allowed him to evade being voted out. She gave Sarah the steal a vote advantage. She gave Sandra the hidden immunity idol, which Sandra then gave to Denise, which led to Sandra getting Queen Slade. She helped Parvati give the extortion disadvantage to Tony, which put Tony in a real bind. And then finally, she gave Nick this most recent advantage to play against Ben Dreebergen, which probably led to Michelle getting immunity instead of Ben Dreebergen. So even though Natalie hasn't been on the main island in 33 days, her impact on the game is actually still pretty darn substantial. And you compare that to any player from the last time we had Edge of Extinction, and it's totally, totally different. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I've noticed too about these these idols is, uh, and these little advantages, they always go to the weaker side. So they're giving these people that are on the outside all this power. And I think that's pretty natural. I think it'd be, I think we'd be having a different discussion about the Edge of Extinction had they been giving all these advantages to Tony instead of, you know, trying to weigh him down and slow him down. You know, it would be kind of a worse mechanic. I think that it makes perfect sense for Natalie and these other players to try to keep the playing field even because when they come back in, they're going to have a better chance of making some moves and staying in the game if there's this conflict. Let's hop back in that boat and let's uh, row on back to the main island there's a lot of strategy going on really there was there was some pretty subtle moves and then there was kind of an attempt at subtlety that didn't <laughs> not not too surprisingly didn't go over super well um what did you think of of sarah's move on bendry bergen explain that and did it did it work when i was watching the episode i was like whoa is that sarah lucina or is that leo dicaprio in inception because that was pretty well played but in all seriousness <laughs> i thought I really thought that that whole segment was a great example of how trust works in this game. And that was even the main theme of Tribal Council that night. And what I mean by all of that is basically Tony and Sarah at the beginning of this segment, they go off in the woods. You know, cops are us. The tide is two in this game that we still have. And they're talking. And, and basically, Sarah is like, look, we got to make sure Ben Drebergen feels like he has some agency in this game. And she didn't say this, but we've seen this before. We've seen goats in this game go far in this game with someone pulling them along and the goat gets freaked out that they're not making enough big moves and they don't feel like they're in control and they're worried that they're a goat. So then they freak out. They maybe betray the person who they belong to, for lack of a better word, or they try to make a irrational big move in another way and it blows everything up for the person who had control over them. Yep. So Sarah is really smart here and she says, we need to make Ben feel like he's in control here. So she then, after conferring with Tony, goes to Ben Drebergen and says, hey, look, Jeremy is Tony's number. We need numbers. I know you and Jeremy have been feuding for weeks and weeks, but we'd really like to keep Jeremy for a little while longer. But you know what, Ben? It's up to you. You get to make the call. And she says all this to Ben, knowing that if he thinks that he's the one that's getting to choose, he will be more likely to go along with it. And then what do we see? They cut to Ben walking up to Tony and being like, hey, man, what do you think about us keeping Jeremy <laughs> for another couple of days out here? <laughs> that idea just took root and grew and grew and grew, and it worked so successfully. So basically, we saw trust utilized between Tony and Sarah Lucina and Cops R Us, and then we actually saw trust abused between Sarah and Ben by her using the trust between them as a way to trick him into thinking he was in control when he wasn't. Perfect. 
It was perfectly played. Um, you got to see Sarah kind of flex some of her mind muscle that has gotten her so far. It was a brilliant move. It was executed perfectly. Obviously, didn't work out just because uh, Nick ended up winning immunity. Otherwise, it would have worked perfectly. What Ben did after that moment, right, is he kind of had the same thought uh, a little bit where he wanted to um, sow a thought into somebody's mind. He wanted to create distrust between two allies, between Jeremy and Michelle. What he did required a lot of subtlety, and that's not Ben's, let's say, that's not Ben's strong point. So he goes up to Jeremy and says, hey, Jeremy, do you think you can get the 50-50 advantage away from Michelle? Jeremy says, sure. Not a bad play for for Ben. He honestly could have left it at that, and it would have been a, a kind of a win-win scenario, right? Because either, either Jeremy asks for it, Michelle says no, and then they distrust each other, or Jeremy gets it from Michelle, Michelle's weaker. Um, either either right. way, it's kind of a win-win for Ben. But that's not that's not all Ben do. Ben decides the king of subtlety decides that he's gonna go to Michelle <laughs> and be like, "Hey, <laughs> it was so bad." <laughs> hey, I bet you, I bet you, I can tell you what's about to happen. Jeremy's about to come to you and ask for your advantage. He's gonna come. He's gonna come ask for it. Watch, watch, watch. And he just keeps saying it. Like, watch. He's gonna do it. He's gonna do it. Watch, watch. And he says it so many times that Michelle's like, dude, this is a setup. So what does she do? What any normal person would do, which is go talk to Jeremy and be like, hey, Ben's acting kind of weird. What's going on here? And Jeremy just tells tells her that Ben asked him to ask for a 50-50. And they're like, wow, what an awful move. (laughs) (laughs) And we all got a good laugh out of Ben trying to do something that he cannot do, which is be subtle. Yeah, I thought this whole thing was a good showcase in, again, trust and how Ben Dreebergen doesn't understand how this works because this type of tactic could work but only under a couple of different scenarios. The easiest way that this could have worked is if Jeremy and Michelle already distrusted each other a little bit. Like let's flip this around, right? Let's imagine that Jeremy had a 50-50 and Ben didn't and they were the two that someone was trying to play against each other. Well, they already hate each other. If you go to Ben Dreebergen and say, hey, go ask Jeremy for his 50-50, and you tell Jeremy, hey, man, Ben's going to come ask ask for your 50-50 coin, right? And then they go and talk. They're going to hate each other immediately and think, oh, my gosh, that guy's trying to trick me. So-and-so told me, and and they're they're trying to get me out. And it would have worked very easily. The other way that this could work is if you are just a master manipulator. I think Sandra Diaz-Twine is someone who actually maybe could have pulled this off. She would have done it in a much more sophisticated and, like you said, subtle Mm -hmm. way. So this can be done, but Ben Dreebergen doesn't understand the fact that Jeremy and Michelle are each other's tightest allies at this moment. And therefore, him trying to very, I don't know, bombastically intervene in this relationship to try to sow distrust just isn't going to work. So let's talk really quickly about that vote off, that first vote off. Um, It was another kind of unique plurality vote off where you have multiple targets and only certain people know exactly what's going on. Tony and Sarah have a fantastic read on this game. 
as a as a twosome. Basically, Tony hears things that Sarah doesn't hear, and Sarah hears things that Tony doesn't hear. Like I think another example is later on in this episode, Denise came up to Sarah and said, "Hey, you know, I'd love to get Tony out. I'd love to sit with you and Ben Drebergen at the end." And Tony did actually hear that himself, but I have no doubt that Sarah would have told him that anyway. So between the two of them, they have a fantastic read, and they knew exactly who was voting for who and didn't feel threatened at all by doing really a pretty risky play, but they did it to minimize the risk of Michelle's advantage. In case she gave it to Jeremy, he played it correctly and was therefore immune. I feel like it was kind of a standard split, but what was unique was the fact that they didn't have necessarily enough numbers in their core alliance to make a split happen but they still they still were able to pull it off so like you said though i mean it required a lot of trust um and i think i thought tony might have been off base i thought nick was gonna go rogue i i i thought that he with michelle had a better read on that final tribal and what was going to happen between you know now and and the final i'm continually disappointed in nick let me let me start with michelle because Michelle made a couple um, pretty interesting comments. She said, one of the things she said is that she's best when her back is against the wall. You know, this move that she made against between Sarah and Tony to try to create some distrust should have been done like three episodes ago and or more. And, um, and it wasn't because she felt safe. And so Nick, Nick never felt unsafe and he should have been feeling unsafe for a long time and he looks like even more of a fool because Michelle told him and he he didn't really he didn't really believe it he saw some sort of a path where Tony was going to take him over Benjry Bergen you talk about someone who doesn't have a read on the game at all and that's that's Nick Nick thinks he's tied enough with Tony that he's going to get out Benjry Bergen and what an awful read that was and ended up imploding his game and getting voted out because of it. I totally agree. I think that Nick, and he would not admit to this, I think he really comes down to anyone but me. He doesn't seem to really play any type of game past the immediate next vote out. And maybe I need to rewatch Dave versus Goliath because I got to be honest, I don't remember a whole lot about that season, the season that he won, but it seems to be very, very, very short-sighted. The plan that he should have is, oh, does this plan make me sit on the final three with Tony? Then that's not a good plan. If Tony's on the final three with you, Nick, you've lost. So any single tactic that you have that brings him in there with you isn't a plan worth pursuing. I think that they had an opportunity at the final seven in this first tribal, okay? Denise, I think, would have voted for Tony or Sarah or even Ben if they had asked her. If Nick, Jeremy, Michelle, and Denise had been like, all right, we're voting for Sarah or we're voting for Tony, we could have had a different outcome here. There would be a totally different outlook on the rest of this game because Cops R.S. would likely be broken up or Ben Drebergen wouldn't be there. Something would have gone wrong for them for once. And yet, since they didn't ever have those conversations, Denise and Nick went with Cops R.S. plus Ben Drebergen, and they were able to execute a really good, skillful plurality vote out. But basically, those players should have recognized, hey, we're all on the bottom here. But the majority of the players are on the bottom. That doesn't make sense. How about all of us players who are on the bottom team up, work together for at least one vote. One theme we've seen from Nick is that when he becomes afraid, right? He talks a big talk 
at the beginning of the episodes, you always hear him talking about, I want to see, like, I'm thinking about the end. I'm not thinking about the next boat. Um, as this, the episode goes on and you get closer to tribal council, he says things like, I'm thinking about the alliance members that I want to move forward with. So he changed his strategy sometime between the beginning of the episode when that, that first confessional came out and he said, I'm thinking about the end. And then, and then just before tribal council, when he says, I'm going to strengthen my alliance. What happened in between that, Caleb, was fear. He became afraid, as he, as he has done so many times, when the pressure builds and it's about time to follow through with this move that he's, that he's conceived. And he ends up bailing on it because it's kind of scary to to go against the majority and so then at the end he just nods his head and smiles as he gets voted off and that's that's what frustrates michelle and honestly a lot of survivor fans that are watching this season and they want to see somebody put up a fight against tony they want to see a battle they're okay with tony winning we're all okay with tony winning especially if he's worked super hard to get there but what we want to see is someone try to make a good move and either beat tony or get defeated by him soundly there's not anyone left who can make a strategic move. I think Sarah is has the ability. She could. Has, she has the ability, yeah. but she has no will whatsoever. She believes firmly that she can beat Tony in the final tribal. I think she's got a chance to get some votes, but I don't think she has a chance to, to beat him in the end just because Tony has steered this thing. And, 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 and I'll say this. So Sarah had Sophie. Sophie was her girl. I, I think if, if Tony hadn't gotten Sophie off, let's say someone else had made the move to get Sophie off. Um, I think Sarah has almost equal footing with Tony at this point. But because mm. Tony got out Sarah's strongest ally and then was able in the very next day to corral Sarah back in, it 100% yeah. looks like he's carried her through. And that's that's not necessarily Sarah's fault. It's it's Tony just making a great move. Sarah didn't see it coming. Sophie didn't see it coming. I didn't see it coming. And it was perfect. And now because of that, in my opinion, Sarah doesn't have a chance at winning in final tribal against Tony. And I think maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about that second tribal council. You know, so it's a tribal council with six players, and I am again just so confused by the the long-term outlook by these players specifically denise nick and michelle so michelle basically talks to nick at the beginning of the second half of the episode and says oh i was wondering if you were going to come down and talk to me i cannot believe you voted for jeremy we are clearly on the bottom what were you thinking comma you idiot exclamation point and nick looks at her and it's like it's news to him he's shocked by this and and to his credit he believes her but then they really just act like they're the only two that exist on this island. And sure, they target Ben Dreebergen with their disadvantage, and now is a good play, and Michelle wins immunity. But they should have immediately gone to Denise and been like, look, none of us are beating Tony. None of us are beating Sarah, even if we do get out Tony. Therefore, this is one of our last opportunities to make a move. We can force a 3-3 tie. Because we all recognize if we don't get one of them out tonight... We're not going to win anyway. So you know what? If we have to draw rocks, let's draw rocks. Let's do it. Yeah. And that conversation, at least from what we can see, never, ever happened. 
I have to assume that maybe Denise was lied to by Sarah and Ben Drebergen when they were talking by the water well. Maybe they told her, hey, yeah, we'll take you final three, and that was good enough for Denise. But they should have taken that tribal as the opportunity to say, you know what, we can make a move now. Let's do it now. But no, they were all willing to just go with the flow again. Last question on the second tribal council. So they clearly were looking at basically Denise or Nick as who they could target since Michelle was immune. Do you think that Nick was actually the correct vote here? Was he someone that Tony should have targeted or would he have been better off going after Denise after he heard her throwing his name out there by the water well. I think the reason Tony didn't necessarily freak out was because he knew that Sarah and Ben were in tight with them. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised at all if both Sarah and Ben knew that Tony was up there and that this whole thing may have been a test for Denise. He he heard from either, and this is hypothetical, right? But he could have heard from Sarah or from Ben that Denise wants to talk to them by the water well. And so they tell him he scurries up the tree and they go and talk to Denise and they know that he's up in the tree and they're talking to Denise and they're just confirming that, okay, she's not with us. She's not with this trio. And I think that that's very likely to have been the, the case in the scenario. You know, we've seen Sarah kind of helping Tony create his nest. She knows that it exists. I'd be shocked if they didn't hadn't let Ben in on the secret at this point. I think that, that this is the right move in a way. I think Nick is, is a pretty decent goat, but Tony has made his mind that these three are going to make it with him to the end. I don't really see a huge benefit or disadvantage either way. Yeah, I think the main reason why he decided to go with Nick instead of Denise was Nick, at least in this vote, believed finally the truth which is that he was on the bottom and he didn't have a path to the end so he was going to scramble at every single tribal until the end trying to figure out a way how to weasel his way in there the difference is denise i think believes that she has a path forward so as long as they can maintain the facade that denise has a path forward she's actually in a controlled setting whereas nick is going to be volatile trying to make deals with anyone who's willing to work with them. So I think Nick was 100% the right vote. So let's uh, transition now to the segment of our episode where we give out our weekly awards. And I wanted to ask you first, who do you think made the best move of this two-hour pre-finale? I think it's got to be Sarah's Inception just because of the the cleverness, uh, recognizing that Ben needs to feel like he's made a move so he feels like he has something in Tribal Council. Obviously, it's going to blow up in his face in the, in the end. I think it was perfectly conceived. And if Nick hadn't won um, that immunity challenge, it would have been acted out to perfection. And Sarah would have had a notch in her belt, it, one that she could have potentially even used against Tony um, in the final Tribal as well. That is exactly what I have written down, so I will not waste time by repeating it. But yeah, it was it was very, very good. So the pick that I had for worst move is Nick going along with Tony and voting Jeremy out. Like I was saying earlier, I really do think that Denise would have been down to work with those other three players, and that would have created that 4-3 split, and you could have made a run at it right then and tried to take out one of the titans of mm. this game. But the opportunity just either wasn't known or they didn't look for it or they didn't take it. And no matter which of those three it is, that to me is the worst move because that I think was the the inflection point at which they could have changed the trajectory of this game and they just didn't do anything about One it. One might say the Ben Ultimate moment. Uh worst move, gotta go to our boy Benjury Bergen, who somehow mm-hmm. by remaining in the game is sucking up all of these uh, awards <laughs> that I give out every week. 
And uh, yeah, definitely worst move was his first off being fooled by Sarah Lucina. Um, and second off making a fool of himself um, to both Michelle and Jeremy by trying to create distrust in, the, in a way that required subtlety and timing, neither of which he has, neither of which he will ever have in Survivor. <laughs> so that's got to be my worst move. Well, let's get to that um, very popular segment, the Big Mouth Award. Caleb, you want to go with, uh, with a particular moment in the episode? Not a whole lot of contenders for this, in my opinion, this week. I want to kind of kind of switch things up on this award. Um, I've been giving Benjury Bergen a really hard time with a Big Mouth Award. Um, so what I want to do to kind of give Ben a better chance of not being our highlight is just kind of go to, um, to a new kind of twist on the segment. And we're going to call this one, what was that? And it's just it's okay. just kind of a, a moment in each episode that I feel is uh, particularly confusing. It's that moment that you run back on your DVR or whatever app you're using, <laughs> and you're just you watch it again, okay. and then you still you're not quite sure what happened. So what I'm gonna do, Caleb. I'm gonna play a little clip for you of this moment. And here's the problem. Even though I tried to kind of change. The moment it still features our boy Benjury Bergen. Oh man. Okay. All right. Show me what you got. All right. So so here's here's the moment. Ben, the tricky part of having somebody come back from extinction is right now everybody's trying to hold tight to an alliance. But if anybody in that group is at all rocky, they could break everything open and say, "I got my own idea, and I've been waiting for this person to come back in." How much fear does that add to the game? About as much fear as a lion breaking out of a cage and one person holding the stake and then pinning it to two people's back, right? And so it's a very scary situation in the next couple of days about who's coming and what they're coming with. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. What was that? What was that? What was that, Ben? So what was that? He takes one stake and staples it to the back of two people. So what you do, Caleb, <laughs> uh, if you're Ben, you think you're thinking things in your brain. Here's your picture. You got a line, right? You got some stakes. And what you do is you 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 raise the stakes in the game by staking these stakes in the back of your friends who realize that they made a mistake. And so the... What I'm doing here is I'm using this, the word steak a lot. <laughs> At first, when he said this, I thought he was talking about stabbing people in the back. But then I was like, I'm confused because there's a lion in here. What does a lion have to do with anything? And then I realized he's talking about someone stabbing stakes or attaching stakes somehow to the backs of people. That's not how lions work, bro. Lions... Lions don't work like that. <laughs> well, and frankly, they'd be like, oh, cool. A steak is on top of my dinner. Like, they're perfectly content to go for you, You just too. put meat yeah. on meat, bro. <laughs> it's not a, that's not a thing. So Ben's, Ben's losing it. I don't know when he lost it. So what was the name of the award again? Exactly. It's called the, what was that? <laughs> and, and Ben wins it again. I can't wait for next season, Caleb. I can't wait to find out who our, who our Ben Drebergen's going to be uh, for the next season, season 41, which is in production, by the way. Goodness sake. So yeah, that's yeah. kind of all I had. So we, we have uh, just some quick picks. 
Um, some finale predictions at this point. So Natalie has amassed 14 fire tokens. She purchased three advantages. She already has an idol. She bought another one for Tyson. She got a jar of peanut butter. Uh, and she has so far been labeled the queen of the Edge of Extinction. Caleb, would you rate? go ahead and rate uh, Natalie's Edge of Extinction gameplay? Let's go with uh, numbers 1 through 12. Where would you put... 12, huh? Okay. Yeah, uh, 12. What would you rate Natalie's Edge of Extinction gameplay, 12 being the absolute best? I would totally give her a 12 out of 12, yeah. and she has just outdone herself during this season so i mean we've talked about it before but she outwitted people on the riddles she's outplayed people on the endurance challenges winning both of those against people who were better fed who had you know come from the main island right and had had actual you know merge feasts and everything like that and then finally she outlasted literally everyone else on the edge of extinction being out there for 33 days and even more than that she outlasted not only those other players but she's outlasted her own disappointment yep. and, and shame of being the first person voted out of this game and failing to re-enter at the merge. Yep. Like I have to assume you you're devastated. You're the first voted out in the season of winners. You know, you had such high hopes and then you go to that first return challenge and you don't make it back in and you have to go back. Uh-huh. How brutal that trip back must have been. And she's overcome that both times. I think her gameplay has been top notch. Look, man, I mean but if you rewind the dial on our Tribal Talk Season 40 reviews and you went to the very beginning, you would hear me talking about Natalie and how excited I was to see her play. And if you fast forward a little bit, you would hear me talking about how sad I was that she was voted off. Uh, I was crushed because I, I Natalie has always been one of my favorite survivors. And it's because she uses the difficulty for strength she creates strength out of difficulty she did the same thing on blood versus water when her sister got voted out that propelled her to a winning season and i i was so happy when she won that season one of the few seasons that my favorite person in the season won I, I i absolutely am a huge fan of natalie i don't want to get too ahead of myself but I, I'll, if I had money, right, if I had dollars in my pocket and there was someone that was like, bet me right now who's going to make it in, I would take all of that money and I would put it on the table and be like, Natalie's getting back in. And that's that's Same. that's not just yeah. because she has the advantages. It's because I want her to be back on the island twice as much as the next person that I want to get back in. It's because of her ability to stay positive inside herself and to exude positivity even in the most negative circumstances she is determined she is fierce she's a competitor and uh she's she's downright awesome so um that brings us to our predictions who will return from the edge of extinction next week and do they have a chance of making it to the final three so kind of two parts of this one so I, I totally agree with you. I think having three advantages and the next most advantaged player will only have one advantage, right? That's clearly a huge difference. Natalie is not a challenge slouch anyway. You give her that extra leg up. I think she really does have a shot here. I think she's hopefully a little more well-nourished because while we can argue over the actual nutritional benefits of peanut butter, we can both agree <laughs> food is food. Yeah. And having food is better than having no food, yeah. right? 
As far as her making it to the final three, I think that actually Chris Underwood winning season 38, Edge of Extinction, is her biggest enemy here. Because him coming back at the final return challenge and winning the whole thing is going to be very, very scary for the players remaining in this game. So let's say that anyone that's well-respected comes back, and I think Natalie would be the most respected out of all the possible return players. Let's say she comes back in. She's going to be very, very threatening to Ben and Tony and Sarah. The one thing she has going for is that she has the immunity idol, so she's good for at least one tribal council. She can at least get to the final five, right? And then, as you know, it's only one immunity challenge between the final five and the final four. And at the final four, it's a fire-making challenge. You can, if you are confident enough in your abilities, you can basically guarantee a spot in the final three as long as you can beat someone else in a fire-making challenge. So really, she has to make it through one tribal council, either through alliances or by winning individual immunity, and she has a pretty good shot of making it in. I don't know if she will be able to do it, though, because I think she will be public enemy number one in a lot of ways. This, I think, will move the target away from Tony and on to, let's say, Natalie and actually protect Tony for another couple of votes because, like I said, her story is just so good. It's like this woman was voted out first, went through the hardest things that you could on this game, went with... I mean, did you see that spoonful of rice that they were eating this week? It was crazy. It's nothing. Basically, it's no she was, food. Yeah, she was subsisting on nothing for 33 days and still found the strength and inner resolve to come back into this game at the final stage and make a run at it. You need to get her out. On top of all of that, she's been living with the jury this entire time. You, you can't let her get to the final three because I think she would win if she made it. So... To to answer the second part of the question, I don't think she's going to make it to the final three because she will be public enemy number one, not because they don't like her, but because she's too good. Caleb, she got an immunity necklace, Uh, and the other players don't know that, and so they might might suspect it, but they don't know, and she's not going to use it on anyone else. She's going to use it on her. She worked for that thing. She worked hard. Obviously, we're both all in on Natalie coming back in. We want that to happen. Obviously, you have uh, 7,000 people on the edge of extinction that are going to be competing for this. It's going to be epic. I I do think that, that there's a very outside shot, if Natalie makes it in, of her making it to the final three, and that requires winning immunity challenges and also playing that hidden immunity necklace perfectly um you know five percent chance that she she makes it to the end if she makes it the end she wins hands down i think even against tony it might it might be closer than people think though but let's say uh who makes it to the final three it was the greatest chance at this point of making it to the final three and who you think will win i'm gonna go ahead and answer this one first sure i think it's gonna be tony sarah and ben and tony's gonna win i think sarah will get the second most votes and ben will get a soft clap a soft little applause. <laughs> you don't think he'll get one vote? Or oh, no, absolutely not. Uh, no one's going to vote for Ben. Ben doesn't have the personality to procure votes, and he definitely doesn't have the strategy. I think Jeremy's going to vote for Ben. That's what I think. No, I'm no. Just <laughs> ain't happening. Jeremy's voting for Tony all the way out of respect and and should probably. I think Sarah will get, will get some votes, and she deserves some. But Tony wins because he got out Sophie and he has gotten out so many players since then. 
Um, yeah. He overcame his personal obstacles that have hindered him in the game previously. He knew what those were. He targeted them. He removed them from his gameplay. He played a new game for him. He adapted to the situation, which is the key component to survival in any situation is adaptability. He's mastered it. He did it. If he makes it to the end, he deserves to win. And um, I'll be I'll be happy with that result. I think you're really, really close. I think Tony will be in the final three. I think Ben will be in the final three, but I don't think Sarah's going to be there. And my only reason for thinking that is just because I think something's going to go wrong. I don't think you add a sixth player back in the game with a hidden immunity idol and a person who's pretty good at challenges and have everything go according to plan. So here's my thought. I think it's going to be Tony and Ben and Denise. And my reason is because... Tony and Ben have hidden immunity idols, and they can be used up to when there's five remaining players in the game. So we might see them use them at the final six when Natalie comes in. If they catch wind that she has an idol, you know, we might see all three idols played. Having three people playing idols, and you'll have a hidden immunity necklace at that time too in play, there's only, there's only going to be two people eligible for votes. So something could go wrong, and Sarah could be the one that's get, that gets taken out in that situation. The other thing is, of course... You can't guarantee all final three players. One of those players will have to fight by making fire in order to get into the final three. So it depends on who wins that final immunity challenge. I think that what Tony and Sarah and Ben all do actually want is for them to be the final three. But I just don't think it's going to be that simple. I think that unless Tony is taken out or unless Natalie comes back in and makes it to the final three, I think Tony's going to win for the same reasons that you've named. And on top of that, Tony is in the weird position. It's, it's not very common anymore, but he's the most compelling and strongest player who's also in the strongest alliance. And the people who he's with are not going to take him out. So he can take, he can go to the end with anyone, save maybe Natalie. He has that luxury. It doesn't matter to him who he goes with at this point. He just has to get there. Whereas everyone else, they have to get there and also make sure that he isn't there. There's an added layer of complexity. But overall, I do think Tony's going to win. I... I'm happy with anyone winning as long as it's earned. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you so much for hanging out with us and talking about our favorite show, Survivor. We appreciate the feedback and uh, and can't wait for that next episode. And, of course, you'll find your favorite brothers talking about Survivor just after the last episode of Season 40. Until then, keep your torches lit. Thanks, guys. Thank you.